Is it not coming on? Sorry, we're just waiting. Hello! Oh. <laughs> Instagram! I, I was thinking, I don't, it was really strange because I was on one last night with um, a radio station. I was thinking, I don't know how to update it. I went to my apps and it seemed to be, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I was sitting there, I was like, no, please don't do this. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so, thank you, Instagram, for eventually allowing us to go live. <laughs> you okay? How yeah, a really lazy morning, actually. Did you? Yeah, it's nice. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Beautiful out there. Very beautiful. Um, let me just put this light on. Yeah, that's, there we go. Yes. So, oh, I've got people joining. Thank you, everyone, for joining in. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. So we're just going to... Gage, that's my daughter that's just joined that says hi, yeah. Hi, oh, yeah. hello. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Fantastic. So we're going to have a great time today with your mama. Fantastic. So, yes, so I'm just going to give you an introduction. Drum roll. <laughs> we are so honoured to have the one and only... Julie Kent, MBE, joining us at Global Sororitas. I'm so excited to have Julie on here. I first listened to her briefly about her story on Clubhouse. I think that was the first time I, I heard about your story with um, when we were on with um, Juliet. And so I was captivated by your story. So I started following you and then we just connected from there. So, so I'm so glad to have you here on Global Sororitas. So just to let everybody know a little bit about Global Sororitas. So this is my intention of having this platform is to celebrate motherhood, to help mothers find their voice and create an online platform for mothers to tell their story, particularly the journey of motherhood. And this, this is part of um, my charity, which is Barming Gilead Charity. And so I have brought Julie on here because I wanted her to share her story with us. You know, she has had an incredible journey. I would say colourful journey, you know, and I just want her to be able to share her life experience with us, the story of grief, grit, resilience and glamour. And also giving, you know, Julie was honoured with an MBA in October 2020 by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II for her charitable service. So, um, and she is named as one of the um, 50 greatest women in Gloucestershire, top 100 women in the West, and recently gained the most outstanding woman in the charitable sector in the West. She is um, retired from being a house mistress at, at Dean Close for over 20 years, specializing in teenagers coping with life coping with life and a teacher at Dinklos for 30 years. Often referred to as the lady with the sacks, Julie is an inspirational, musical and high energy keynote speaker who enters the stage playing the saxophone and takes the audience on an adventure through three 
challenging decades. It is an honor to have you here today. So we just wanted to start with you just um, telling us about your journey. Uh, how long have you got, Kate? <laughs> um, I mean, I suppose the journey, you mean the journey of being a mother, don't you? Yes. And yeah. um, we were married, my husband and I got married in 1990, and in 1992 we had our first daughter, Emily. And um, when she was about two and a half, we noticed that she was falling over a bit, just stumbling a bit. And the childminder noticed that too. And so we took her, I thought maybe she wasn't seeing properly. So I took her to an optician and he said there was something not quite right. And we took her to an eye specialist. And he also said, you know, we needed to have a scan. And they didn't really, none of them said anything if they did have any concerns because the day that we went for the scan, even the, the um, paediatric um, doctor said that, oh, you know, if, if the scan is fine, then uh, maybe we'll look at her gait and the way she walks. So we were not prepared in any way for anything to be seriously wrong. And um, she had the scan and we within half an hour we were in an ambulance and on our way to um, a hospital in Bristol which is about um, 40 miles away so um, and then they said that she had um, a tumour in the back of her brain and and of course at two and a half you can't really describe how you're feeling can you you know mm. at two and a half you're either happy and glad and skipping around or she was sick occasionally and if she was sick she was fine afterwards which again would have been a sign um, and we had six months of treatment of chemotherapy, but the, the prognosis was never good. Um, and she died in the June and um, we started a charity in her name. And I've said it a lot recently, you know, if you if you have a child, if you lose a child and especially if you haven't got other children, you have such an emptiness that um, starting a charity and keeping the name going, it fills that gap, really, mm. um, and, and makes, makes you feel that you're doing something positive because it's such a horrendous negative thing to happen. So, um, and once we got on that treadmill, you know, we, we raised money for six or seven years, uh, about 400,000, and um, bought equipment for children that had had cancer, and we're maybe going back to school and needed a laptop or a big buggy or um, and both the Bristol Children's Hospital and the hospital in Gloucestershire were both building new children's units and both approached us. So we gave 50,000 to Bristol and there was a ward there with her name on. And in Gloucestershire, where we live, um, the paediatric oncology is called the Emily Kent unit. So I still now visit it today with my charity hat on, which is good. But we felt, then we had Ollie, our son, and then we had Georgia, who's on here now. Um, and we felt that really, you know, we were still organizing big events, still having massive, beautiful pictures of Emily on the wall to try and get people to give more money in the auction or whatever. But we needed to, it was, I was finding it hard to, um, let it go really and i needed to focus on the two children we had so we decided to fold the charity and felt that we had we had done enough and and some people said oh was that really difficult because i know people that have carried on charities in their children's name when really they you know they've they've lost 
um, the sort of energy for raising money, but they're scared to that if they close the charity, the name is gone, and and mm -hmm. that is something that they find hard. But we didn't really feel like that. We felt that was the time, and we had done you know enough. And I suppose because we had the wards in her name, her name is still there, really. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. So did you feel? I mean, that must have been. Uh, an ex experience that is indescribable. I can't even describe it because I can relate to a certain extent to what you yeah. went through. But did you feel like you were you had enough time to grieve, or did you feel like you you actually went through the griefing process, or you just totally kind of put it to one side? I put it to one side. Mm. <laughs> I think. In those days, though, we're talking about 28 years ago, we weren't offered any counselling or um, in those days you didn't really. We probably had, um, I'm just trying to remember, maybe the health visitor might have come round and said, oh, you know, are you okay and do you want to talk about it? But they weren't really qualified counsellors or um, people that specialised in people that had lost children, really. And so... I think I got on the whole charity bandwagon thing and and just thought that doing all that was feeding my grief. But I think when we closed the charity, that was part of me saying, I haven't really dealt with this and I can't deal with it while we're still putting all these massive pictures of her everywhere. And that, so I knew that, but I still didn't really deal with it then. The only time I dealt with it was when my father died about six six years ago and um, I'm the eldest of three daughters and I was very close to my dad as my two sisters were as well but I was with him on the last night it was my shift so I was with him all night the night that he died and um, I, I did for the first time ever went into a dark place and I consider myself to be very upbeat person very positive um, and I really did. It was like the whole losing dad brought back the whole losing of Emily. Like it hit me like a double decker bus, really. And I had a summer where I was really not good and didn't really want to get out of bed, didn't want to see people, which for me was not, you know, not me at all. Um, and it probably took me a whole summer and a very good friend. Um, I've got an Irish friend that lives in London. She was absolutely brilliant with me. Um, and yeah, and, and then it did, but that was a long way on. And and now, you know, I can actually go on the Emily Kent unit now because when it first opened um, 20 years ago, I think I was on there for about 30 seconds when it opened and just seeing all these young children having lost their hair, I was out of the ward really quickly. Mm. Whereas now I can do that, you know, mm. we're, we're 28 years on and I can do that. And I feel proud when I go on there, which is good. Yeah, that is incredible. That is incredible. Um, hmm. I'm just thinking, 28 years, you said. Um, I'm just thinking, I think we, the, the health sector has come a long way in terms of supporting women. But I still feel there's a lot more to be done um, in terms of the aftercare for women that have gone through pregnancy loss. Um, so that's one of the things that I wanted to focus on in right. how can we improve that a lot yeah. better 
Um, yes, it's good to have the counselling and things like that. But sometimes women just sometimes I felt like I just needed someone to just sit with me in that space of silent, not really having to talk about it. Mm. Um, just trying to create something like that for women to be able to experience. That. Mm. So I really honour, you know, the things that you have done, um, you know, and a legacy lives on, you yeah. know, a legacy yeah. lives on. And so I wanted to um, talk about your profession as an educator, because I know you taught at um, Dean's Close School Close, yeah. in Cheltenham for 30 years. Wow. Wow. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? What, what motivated you to go into teaching? <laughs> um, well, when I, when I met my um, husband, I was actually a, a musician six nights a week. So I played every night. And a great lifestyle in many ways, um, but not the sort of lifestyle if you've got children, really. So um, I started to teach because I thought, well, I'll, I'll just do a few days a week. And I used to go to a different school every day. And then I went to Dean Close and I didn't really like it when I first went because it was quite, um, oh gosh, it was all the men had tweed jackets on, you know, with the leather the leather circles on their elbows. It was really very proper. And, yeah. and I really was not proper at all. And so, and I didn't really want to teach it. I was teaching four days and I didn't teach Fridays because I was still gigging, still playing six nights a week. And Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays were usually late ones. But I was teaching a pupil at home um, who had a scholarship at Dean Close. And yeah. And he was still taught by me here, though. So part of his scholarship would be that he'd have his free lessons at school. But the saxophone teacher at the school was an oldish guy yeah. and he didn't want to have lessons with him. So he retired and the school contacted me and said, would I apply for the job? And I said, no, um, you know, I don't want to teach. I only got one free day and I don't want to teach that day. And then they contacted us, me and said, you know, well, you could just teach Nicholas then because, you know, Anyway, so I applied and, and I remember actually, at that time I was a smoker as well. And um, I think I'd even sat in the car. I had a bright red suit on, I remember. <laughs> and I'd had a cigarette in the car. And um, a few years on, because I did get the job, obviously. And um, a few years on, the headmaster said to me, because I had two headmasters in an interview just to be a saxophone teacher. <laughs> and, and the headmaster said, Oh, we remember you arriving. Um, you opened your saxophone case and alcohol and cigarette fumes just came out <laughs> of your saxophone case. And, um, and they brought Nicholas in for me to teach in front of them, which was quite funny. And um, my very first day, I remember going into the refectory where the whole school went for lunch. And there were staff tables and I sat down and um, this old guy who was the bursar and he said, oh, who are you? And I said, oh, I teach the saxophone. It's my first day here teaching the saxophone. And he said, oh, that's not an orchestral instrument, is it? And I went home and I said, I'm leaving. I'm doing one term. That place is not for me. I don't want to be there. And then 30 years on. Yeah, we left. But um, 10 years from that, we moved into the school and lived in the school for 20 years. So I think they got used to me more than I got used to them, really. Mm, mm. 
so is, is that how you obviously became the head house mistress yeah yeah so how was that like oh it was it was amazing um mm -hmm. i absolutely loved it so i taught for about six years and then i started to teach flute and clarinet there as well and the day house so the girls there were 90 girls and they used to go home every night that house came available mm -hmm. and i wrote to the headmaster and said i'd really like to do that and he asked all these other teachers and they didn't want to do it. So I was the day house mistress first and then the boarding house came up and that was much easier because we lived right in the middle of the school and Georgia was only one and Ollie was four when we moved into the house and it was just so much easier. You know, I could pop back and, and actually we had um, a, a Spanish au pair, two Spanish au pairs for two years in a row when mm. Georgia was probably four and by then Ollie was seven, but just to help get them ready in the morning because I'd have to get to school and roll call and do a register for mm. you know, 70 girls, um, well, 90 in the day house, uh, in the boarding house, 60, but you know, just to get them ready. And then I had to do a roll call before they had to be at school. So we did have a couple, a couple of au pairs for a couple of years, which was really helpful. But to live with um, all those teenage girls was just such an honor because, you know, there were tricky times, but there's a lot of fun as well. It was, mm -hmm. it was really good fun. Um, but, you know, not so good when they fell out, really. If they, if they yeah. fell out with each other, that wasn't so good. So good, yeah. And, and with 60 girls, you have a lot of falling out, really. <laughs> and, and I think the worst was when their mums would get involved. So, you know, their mums, wherever they lived, they could live in Dubai or, or London. And, you know, if their daughters ring up and they're upset, the mums like to tell me what is going on and what is happening from their point of view. Mm. So I could have two mums that are telling me what they think is going on, two girls, um, a member of staff that is trying to sort it out. You know, that, that sort of thing would be um, a challenge. But again, you know, we would laugh about it. A week later, we would all laugh about it. You know, the girls would laugh about it and um, the mums would arrive maybe at the weekend to take them out and they would laugh about it. But at the time, you know, it's the biggest thing ever. Um, but an honour, you know, they used to, the parents would um, drop them off at 13 and we'd do the welcome day and everything. And I would say to the parents, you know, I'm going to hand, you're handing me a young girl and in five years time, I'm going to hand you back a young woman who mm. is 18, who is off to university and for some of those girls, some of them lived in Nigeria, Kenya, um, Spain, um, China, Hong Kong. Um, they spent more time with me in those five years than they did their own mums. Mm. Um, it was a big responsibility. You know, I was, I was there, the woman, the oldest woman that they were kind of looking up to and living with every day and um, coped with, you know, their first period and their first kiss and their first failure in an exam and you know all those things times 60. Mm. So never a dull moment. Mm. <laughs> I'm listening to you and I'm thinking um, and I wanted to ask you this question I want your perspective on it in terms of purpose. Do you think that that transition into teaching and then being a housemistress was that, that long? you 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 were fulfilled in terms of you knew what your purpose was i don't think i knew what it was mm. um i don't think i was aware of it 
but mm -hmm. I do when I look at it now and I suppose it's six months I've been away from it um I think I have a need to be needed and that really fed that living with 60 teenage girls really fed that you know that need that I had to be needed by people now whether that need came from losing Emily um I don't know but I am noticing now that I miss it and when I talk about it it makes me realize that I loved in the morning that they needed me they needed to ask me where their trainers were and um they needed my advice on something and that uh, was something that I enjoyed giving and um that fed my would it be ego even I don't know but it was mm. definitely um something that I relished and I really enjoyed and that actually I realize I do miss now although um I've had two of them call me this week even though I'm not there <laughs> two that um, are leaving this year so I would have seen them through if I'd have stayed um and they've called me um about trying to find the placements for work experience or but both of them actually want to be journalists so um because i know a lot of people so and and i would do that with um not just my girls but all the sixth form pupils i was involved in careers and trying to find them slots you know if they wanted to be an accountant i you would probably know an accountant so i would get them um linked up and mm. you know again but it but deep down it is it's that need to be needed isn't it and but i'd also like to think that i am a giver and and you've heard me speak about how important i think giving is and giving to 60 teenage girls every day is giving with a capital g really mm. and mm. giving is something that i think comes naturally to me and i don't question it and sometimes my husband if someone rings and then i end up on the phone and he'll say your dinner is now cold you could have said your call back and I say, I know, but I just, you know, it's a natural instinct in me that I just want to give all the time. Mm. I need to give more to him, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so that leads me into your charitable service and the various charity the youth kind of supported in fundraising over the years. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the, your charitable work? Yeah, well, once we closed um, the Emily Kent Trust, um, I did. I got involved with organising breast cancer dinners at school, actually pink dinners for breast cancer because everyone knows someone. Um, and any any, we've got a link school in Uganda, so helped with that. And then um, the Pied Piper Appeal, which was the charity that built the new children's hospital that we gave fifty thousand to, they approached me and said, "Would I become a trustee?" And even though I said I was too busy and didn't have time. Um, they asked me to just attend three meetings a year, which it didn't quite end up like that. So I now, um, I do all the social media and I run the, help run the shop. I got them to open a shop and I'm actually in the office now because our fundraiser left. So I'm a volunteer fundraiser in the office and helping in the office and organise lots of events and, and the strategy and moving forward. Um, during that time, about two years ago, um, a charity in Cheltenham called Cheltenham Open Door, um, who feed the homeless and people that are vulnerable, people that are lonely, um, they were looking for a chairman and they asked me to be the chairman and 
Um, so I took that on about 18 months ago um, and we now need bigger premises. So that's going to be quite a challenge. We've got to find new building. Um, we're probably going to need new staff. You know, that's going to be quite a big job, really. And um, Goals Beyond Grass, which is children, disabled children that play football in wheelchairs. They haven't been able to do that for a long time now. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's really difficult because their mental health is struggling because they're shielding with their carers or parents. They can't really go yeah. out. Um, and that's really difficult. They had a, a, a talent thing last night on um, YouTube, which was good. Yeah. And and actually coming back to Pi Piper, just to say what we do do, we buy equipment for the hospital. We buy equipment for the SEND schools around here. We've got 12. Um, we send children and their families on wish holidays. So if they've been in hospital for a long time, leukemia in children, the, the protocols last about two years. Mm. And if you've got brothers and sisters as well, they're in and out of hospital all the time. Um, and so we do um, send them on a holiday just to get their families back into some sort of normal unit. And, um, and we help children with mental health issues. So... Um, that's what they do i just suddenly thought i didn't actually say what the pie piper did but mm. um so all of that now that i'm retired yeah. does keep me very busy <laughs> yeah that's that's you know, that's fantastic somebody says great job well done <laughs> yes what an inspiration what an inspiration um if there's is there any way i mean people will listen to this afterwards yeah um, if, if there's any way that can support how would what would you say is the best way to support those charities that you're working with um well all of them will take donations and all of them have got websites really mm. um you know because Chatham open door collects food so that would be quite difficult if people weren't um close to us but we will always take donations pie piper are a hundred and thirty thousand pounds down on last year because we're very event space so we have a big ball that raises over 20,000 we have a two-day summer show that raises 40,000 we have big events that we love people coming to and it raises lots of money but of course we haven't been able to do any of that but it has made me look at how we can um, get money in now without events you know we're starting a 100 club so people we're trying to get 100 people to pay 10 pounds a month okay and um, and then we'll have a draw every month someone could win 150 and someone could win 100 and then at least we are getting 750 a month that because we pay for we have a nurse's bursary fund right and all the latest um pediatric courses on asthma or epilepsy or diabetes we the nurses can apply to our bursary and they can go on the latest course um, for nursing children with those um, illnesses so that the children in our county get the very best latest care from the nurses as possible and we feel really strongly about that because otherwise it's the bigger hospitals in Bristol or Birmingham that um, children would be moved to and we want it's an upheaval we know because we had to go to Bristol and we didn't even have other children but mm. it's an upheaval if you have to take your child somewhere else to have treatment we want to um, ha get our children here to have the best possible treatment they can really fantastic i'm going to when i download this live i'm going to put all the details in there so if anyone wants to connect and donate yeah. and be part of the 100 club which i think is a great idea 10 pounds a yeah. month you know just to contribute to that that would be yeah. fantastic um yes so i wanted to talk about your podcast oh yeah well 
I thought it was going to be easier than it is, Katie, actually. Mm. Um, I have, I've got two recordings in the bag, um, but when you actually look at the platforms that put it out there for you, that is really quite complicated. And um, my husband has done all the editing. He's an absolute star. And he's done all the music. You know, there's, the trailer is out now, actually. Um, but I am really excited about it. And it's called What's in the Goodie Bag? And I'm interviewing uh, people that are successful. They could be successful sports people or business people. But I want to know what they have done and what they have given back to society. So if I know someone who's a very successful businessman and he hasn't given anything to anyone else and I'm not interviewing him. <laughs> um, and then um, during the podcast, I'm going to ask them to donate something to go in my goodie bag. Mm. And then I will raffle or auction that um, for the Pied Piper Appeal. So it's a sort of podcast that's got a bit of a different flavour to it yeah um but it's quite it's quite difficult especially when you're recording like this we know because we had to try and get on this morning <laughs> but if someone is recording in their kitchen and the sound isn't that good you know it's really difficult isn't it and yeah. and with a podcast you know you want it to sound as good as possible um i'm a bit worried no one will listen to it <laughs> <laughs> oh no no it'd be fine definitely okay. So I, so far, my first one is going to be quite a famous artist. I've already got that one. And he's put his book in the goodie bag. And the second man, the second man, um, his company makes mobile app games. And, um, yeah, he, he was really good. And this week, I'm about to interview a guy that ran the Red Arrows. You know, the Red Arrows aeroplane display. Oh, yes, oh. yes, yes. Um, and I'm going to do um, a young girl who's a milliner. She makes hats and people wear her hats to Cheltenham races and Ascot and that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, I've got people sort of lined up, but we were going to launch it Tuesday. But Apple, I said to Ben, right, so Tuesday, we'll, we'll launch it on Tuesday. And he said, Apple said that it can take up to two weeks for wow. them to verify it and put it on. And so... But I'm, you know, once it gets going, I'm hoping that, um, you know, it will. People will suggest people that I can talk to, and uh, hopefully, people will listen to it. People do listen to podcasts now. Yeah, they do. They do. And I love the idea of getting them to donate something. I think that is. I've not heard that one done before. No. So I think that's going to be a very interesting one. And I think you will get, I think you get a lot of people interested in that because people want to see that they're actually doing something, you know, yeah. and it, it helps their, their brand. Yeah. It's hard to get auction prizes. You know, it's, it's really hard to get them. So um, hopefully, um, in fact, the guy's obviously going to sign his book. In fact, I shouldn't be saying because then that takes the surprise away. I'm terrible, Katie. Don't do you know? <laughs> do you know when when you launch? Let me know so I can yeah. kind of put it on yeah. on the different platforms so people know. And they that'd can be great. Yeah, I've had um, got a couple of people speak to me about you know if you do consultancy work, for for instance, if you give advice, if they have a charity and. They just need some kind of guidance if you if you do that i do do um a power hour a power mm. hour with julie kent uh it's a hundred pounds for an hour um and uh, it's all on my website actually i mean 
I've only just started it because if I hadn't have devised this, I wouldn't be off the phone all day because people call me all the time. And if it's people in Gloucestershire, then I'm quite happy to, um, you know, chat to people and go for coffee. But outside of this county, um, someone said to me, you really have got to charge people. Otherwise, yeah. it will be nonstop. Um, so it's called A Power Hour. It's on my website. And um, someone contacted me yesterday, actually, in America. So, um, you know, it's all on there. And and I, I would find out, first of all, what sort of guidance they want and do as much, you know, um, behind the scenes and then have a really good hour with them and, and give, hopefully give them lots of ideas. Yeah. So to anyone listening, it's the Power Hour. I will put Julie's um, website in the comment section later on so you can contact her. It is £100. It is. <laughs> he has a wealth of knowledge i'm telling you 100 pounds is not enough for the not, the connection that she has as well you know to be able to help you in in, in um in whatever you need to be helped with and lastly i wanted to ask you a question and what do you want your legacy to be what do you want to be remembered for um i want to be remembered for being a, a giver um and, you know, for, well, I hope that Emily's ward will be there for a long time because, um, you know, that's, that's a legacy in itself. Just before um, I'd left school, I had just launched the Julie Kent Foundation Award, which okay. was to put a child through Dean Close um, for five years. But all the events that we'd planned um, to have the big reunions and all the people come back and then they would contribute, um, none of that has happened yet. But hopefully, um, some, some parents have already signed up to pay £30 a month for 30 months. Um, and we did have an auction. But hopefully, when all this finishes, we will be able to do some events at school and put a child through for five years um, mm. and in close and have an education that they wouldn't normally be able to afford it. So that's um, another legacy. But I suppose, um, I suppose having the MBE, in a way, has... Um, given me a bit of a legacy as well and I've kept all the cuttings and everything for my granddaughter because I have a granddaughter who's 15 months mm. and so we've kept all that so that um, when she's older you know they can say and this I'm not called a granny Katie I just did not want to be called granny so I'm called Nonna and and I keep saying to her every time I FaceTimed her this morning and I was saying where's Nonna non 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 to say it and um, you know I hope that my daughter and everyone will talk to her about her nonna and, and what she did. And hopefully my daughter is definitely very similar to me. She would, um, she has a beauty salon and every time we have an event, she says, I'll give a free manicure. I'll give a free this, you know, Georgia is um, very like me. And I hope that Marley again will, and will be the same and we'll think of others all the time, really. Yes. Your MBE. I must not forget that Thank <laughs> you for bringing it up. Now, let's talk about how that went down. Well, I nearly deleted the email. Have you heard that story? I think. Yeah, I nearly, I nearly deleted it. Uh, it came in with a whole load of capital letters and I thought, oh golly, this must be spam. Um, and opened it and, you know, it said, um, I think it's from Boris or someone in the cabinet office that says, you know, the, um, on behalf of the Queen, would you accept this award as member of the British Empire? Um, and yeah, just couldn't believe it. It was in lockdown in June, and then we weren't allowed to say anything until October. But 
it gave me lots of time to think about what I was going to do with it and which is why the idea of the virtual world tour really mm. and I was on New York radio this week yesterday um something like women rock success or something sounds very trying to trying to make giving much more um sexy I think and um it's just made me realize that I want to get out and spread the word of how how good giving is it's really good for the person that's giving and you'll know this from your charity how good you must feel when you raise some money you know it's going to a good cause yeah. and the people you're giving it to i mean it could be simple like carrying an old lady's shopping off the bus you know yeah. she's so relieved that you've helped her you feel better when you walk away that you've helped an old lady it's mm. just a win-win situation and yes. when i go out and do my talks everywhere i'm going to challenge the audience you know to do something for their local charity and i want them to tag me in and come back to me so that i know that my talk has actually made other people give yes. you know i i don't want to just turn up do a talk and, and come home i want the people in the audience to think oh right let's organize a coffee morning or and i want them to tag me in so i feel like me going there was also generating a sort of ripple effect of other people giving that yeah. will be my legacy really mm. Hopefully. Yes. So do you think that people treat you differently now that you have an MBE? <laughs> well, we haven't really seen anyone. <laughs> um, some people, yeah. So I was on a networking thing this week and I'd forgotten to put it on my, um, you know, when you're on a Zoom call and yeah. you put your name and the guy running the, he said, Julie, where's your MBE gone? Like, oh, I have forgotten, forgotten to put it on. Um, so, um not really except i suppose it i'm hoping it will give me the platform you know to do bigger talks mm. um to go to bigger places and um and i suppose people think well she must she must know something if she's got an mba which um i'm just putting a, a talk together at the moment actually for another business networking event and they said will you talk about you know running a charity in a pandemic mm. um so i'm just preparing that this morning so um, it's opened up different things and I need to be busy because I'm really, you know, I, I just love being busy. But yeah. I, I don't think anyone, certainly my family haven't treated me any differently. And if anything <laughs> with my friends, it's just a bit of a joke. You know, they say, I have, I saw someone the other day, he was, he was walking down the road and I stopped and I said, how are you? Because he hadn't been well. He said, oh, do I have to curtsy now? <laughs> I said, no, I've got to practice my curtsy for when I meet the Queen. queen. <laughs> Oh wow! It's, would that be the first time you've met the Queen, or have you met the Queen before? Well, we haven't. We didn't meet her, but my husband and I did go to her garden party a couple mm. of years ago, and that was because of our charity connection. We yes. had an invite to go mm. to her garden party, and we were really close to her. Yes. But certain people had already been picked out that she would speak to, and they had to be right. in a certain place. But we were right at the front, and she just, oh, she just looks such a lovely lady. I mean, she's a giver. She's a giver with a capital G, isn't she? She gives yes. all the time, yes. and, um, which is fantastic as our role model. Yes. Um, but the gardens and, and Buckingham Palace were fantastic. And you could go in as well. You could go into a bit of it. But the, the, I think um, the investiture is at St. James's Palace, which is, uh, well, I know St. James's Palace because the London Marathon finishes there. And I did the London Marathon in 2012 when I was 50. Mm. And um, I remember we finished there and all the school, my schoolgirls, they'd all come on a coach 
to watch me do it. And so they were all there at the end. And that was in the forecourt, I think, of St. James's Palace. So um, whenever that happens, then that would be exciting. Yes. I was going to say, I was going to say a new dress, but I've stopped buying clothes since the <laughs> pandemic. I haven't, I think I've bought two things and they were from a company called Nobody's Child, which is all eco-sustainability. So I've already decided that um, when we get the date, I'm going to go to a really posh um, secondhand dress agency and I want to wear a vintage or something, you know, like that, that um, for my investiture, because that's sustainability. Yes. I can't wait to see the pictures. That, that's, people keep saying that. They keep, I can't what wait. Are you wear? Oh, and I don't know. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. <laughs> well, It'd be glorious. Hope, you know. Yeah. Big hat. Big hat. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what, Julie? It's been lovely having you. I am so honoured to have you here. It's, it's like I'm talking to someone that I've known for years. Um, yeah, I really appreciate everything that you've done. I appreciate, you know, the, 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 what I've known about you. I really appreciate it. You're my kind of woman. Um, <laughs> I would say women who wear capes. <laughs> invisible capes you know your light is shining bright um for the world to see and I'm, i am grateful for that and i'm i'm honored to have you on this platform so yes so we're gonna end the live here oh, thank so anyone, you so much for having me yeah so anyone that wants to connect with julie i'm going to put all the details down in the comment section her charities that you can link up to. And if you want to have the power hour session with her, I'll also, yeah, somebody said she's That's been interesting listening to you. I have a question. Go ahead. What's the question? Just typing probably. Okay. Yeah. So we wait for that question to come through. Um, anybody else that is interested in the power hour session, I'll, I'll send a link in there and then, how do I go about learning to? She said, <laughs> How do I go about learning to paint? Okay, I think I think you can now buy. Um, you could probably do it on YouTube. YouTube will have a how to play the saxophone, and um, or years ago, you know, you could buy a video and a book. You know, you could have the book and it would explain what the notes were and they'd show you. Then it probably moved to CD and then it probably moved to downloading. Yeah. But it must be a YouTube yes you can buy the book and follow it on youtube and um and then we look forward to, is it baker street that you want to play because that's what's on my um show reel me playing baker street isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but i hope yeah. lots of your followers follow me that would be brilliant yeah that's okay that's it we're, <laughs> we're doing a call now everyone that listens to this <laughs> i need you to go to julie kent mbe instagram page follow her sign up when when her podcast comes through yeah. i need you to sign and subscribe um to it you you will not you can see even this conversation you can see what you're going to get a lot of laugh a lot of joy a lot of you know uh, uh um a lot of knowledge you know she's bright I, 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 that's the way to describe her she's a bright light and so you 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 get a lot out of it she said i'm already somebody said i'm already following fantastic so yes that's what we want you to do follow her page follow her and you you will not be disappointed so 
I will have to, I don't know whether I should say this and <laughs> me. <laughs> no. Me lady. <laughs> All right. Okay, so I'm going to end this now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody else, for coming on here. Hello to Julie's daughter. Hopefully we'll meet someday. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank All you. right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.